My son yesterday said that it's very satisfying watching the little bubbles or whatever. So I don't know exactly what that reminded them of. What was it that they reminded y'all of? The youth told me something. I can't remember, but it like some, it's something cultural, the little bubbles. So Nathan, thank you very much for making uh, those so engaging and satisfying. Well, today, my hope as we turn into God's word is that we will be satisfied in him, uh, that we will find our joy in his word because we need him and we need his word. Um, I think it's really helpful sometimes that as you're going through a, a book of the Bible, like we're going through part of First Peter right now, it's good just to kind of like remember Peter and, and a little bit just about his life, because I think it always brings back this, I, this fresh appreciation for what he's doing, um, what it is that, that Jesus spoke to him. And just as a quick reminder, um, I want you to turn over. So maybe if you've already turned to first Peter, where we're going to be today, then if you turn over to John, um, I want to look, I want to open up today and, and just re- reading a little bit of a reminder. This is, this was a a painful moment for, for Peter. I'll just say that it was a, a difficult thing for him because Peter, if you'll remember, Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was one of the inner three. And he was the one that said to Jesus, Jesus, even if everyone else forsakes you or abandons you, I never will. And then it was Peter who in the, the, the trial of Jesus is found out in the courtyard to a, a servant girl. Like, so not even somebody like really big and important or something like that, but just a, a servant girl is denying that he even knows Jesus. He even goes so far as to call down curses on himself um, in this moment. And then there's this moment where he sees Jesus and Jesus sees him. And I mean, he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Um, he is just devastated over his own unfaithfulness to the Lord. So the death of Christ happens, the burial, and then the resurrection. Peter's in the scene as well as one who goes and he sees this empty tomb. But then John ends his gospel with this recording of the disciples, Peter included, going back to their fishing boats. You'll remember some of them were fishermen when they first were called by Jesus to follow him. And so they go back to the trade they knew. They're back to fishing and Jesus has come to them. I mean, just catch the grace in that. Jesus has come to to Peter, one who has forsaken him, one who was not faithful in a moment of testing, um, but denied that he even knew Jesus. And now Jesus comes to him and he begins to spend time with them. Peter runs to him from the boat. I mean, it's this beautiful scene of reunion, but there's the awkwardness. It's the, okay, we know what's happened, now what? And this is where Peter receives this clear message from Jesus Christ about what his life is going to be going forward. So for as many days as God is gonna give him, this is what life is gonna look like. Then maybe you just needed to hear that today, that there's, there is life on the other side of your failure that, that you've already in your confession that Jesus is Lord, Peter got it right, Jesus, you're the Messiah, but then he has blown it royally. He, he, he has, with his own words, denied that he even knew Jesus. So maybe you just need to hear that today, that there is life and calling on the other side of your unfaithfulness because he is faithful. And so the one who is faithful speaks to Peter and he says, picking up in verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That these there isn't clear, you know, more than these fish. It may have been more than these disciples, kind of that recollection of, remember when you told me that you love me more than all of these guys? And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord. He said to him, you know that I love you. 
feed my lambs. He told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time. Why? He had denied him three times. So there's this parallel between his denial and this reinstatement moment. So he's grieved. He's remembering, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus said, truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me, which ushers him right back where he started. I mean, that was the beginning of the journey for Peter was Jesus's invitation, follow me. But then it goes on. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. The one who had leaned back against Jesus at supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? And Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. It's almost this rebuke of stop the comparison game, Peter. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that this disciple would not die. And we think it's John, that, that John wasn't gonna die. But yet Jesus did not tell him that he would not die, but that if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? And there's two things that are held in tension in this passage that I want to use to help us understand the tension in which Peter was living then for the rest of his life. And it's the tension of this, commission and promise. Commission and promise. Commission, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep, commission. Promise, until I come until I come. You know, there's so much of what we as the people of God live in that is that tension of commission and promise. Commission and promise. We see it in the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Commission, promise, and I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. Matthew 24, 14. The gospel will be preached in the whole world, commission, promise, and then the end will come. Commission and promise, commission and promise. Both are aspects of our salvation and they're both clearly seen in our text today. And so I wanna invite you to stand for the reading of God's word from 1 Peter as we give ourselves fully to this text. And I'm gonna begin reading in verse five and read down through verse nine, but hear the word of the Lord, God speaking to you from his very word. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, 
more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Will you pray with me? God, the weight of this text is tremendous. And we are deeply in need of your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds to receive your word, to eat today of what you alone can give. So Lord, we come hungry and needy to your table, but we thank you that you have prepared a place for us. So Lord, as we sit with you today in your word, would you please nourish us and fill us so that we might run the race that you have marked out for us, our eyes on Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen. You can be seated. In this tension of commission and promise, commission and promise, we find ourselves today. We are a commissioned people who have received a promise and yet we're called to do something with that today. A commission is something that we're called to do, a way that we're called to live. A promise is something not yet received. We're, we're awaiting people, an active people who are waiting, a commissioned people who've been promised. And here in this tension we live. And so what is life to look like today? What are gonna be the characteristics of the life of one who has been commissioned and has received a promise? Well, in this text, there are, there are two verbs that are given that describe the people of God. And they were to describe the people of God then. And remember, the reason we just read about the commissioning of Peter after his, after his royal failure and then return to Jesus Christ is because right now here in this letter, that's what he's doing. He is feeding the lambs of God. He is shepherding the sheep of Jesus. He, he is feeding the sheep with this. This is what you and I, as the, as the lambs that belong to Jesus, as his sheep, this is what we need. That, that's what we've got to begin to understand more and more is that what we need, what it means for us to be shepherded is the word of God. And it's as we come to it rightly, not as students who just want to have knowledge or, you know, uh, novice historians just wanting to know a few historical facts, but as disciples who just as Peter was instructed, follow me have said, I will follow you. Jesus, I will follow you. I give my life to you. You are Lord, you are savior and I'm going to follow you. And so as we come and we say, I'm gonna follow you, he says, then consume my word, take it in, let it be the diet of your souls because you need this. You need me and I give you my word. 
So as we turn to his word today and we walk through here, there's these two ideas that just rise to the surface that Peter says your life is going to be characterized by. But let me just go ahead and fast forward to the end of the story. The spirit of God is going to produce these two things in your life. That is unbelievably helpful to know at the beginning because Peter is gonna call us to do some things, to, to rejoice in our suffering, that you say, I can't rejoice in my suffering. That's like, you know, that, that seems like kind of like blaming the victim or like making it worse or something like that. It seems like it's not helpful at all to tell someone that's going through difficulty, rejoice. But the end of the story is this, his spirit produces joy in the midst of your suffering. His spirit produces a love for God that is unexplainable, inexpressible, overwhelmingly joyful. It's him who's doing this in you and he's doing it through faith. So this is the vehicle that he's using is through faith. We're called to be a people of faith. We see faith commended throughout the Bible from beginning to end. When the people of God believed God, they trusted him. They said yes to God, yes to your ways, yes to your word. We believe you, we believe you for promises we haven't seen. We believe you that your way is good and we will walk in it. Faith demonstrated was always the way that God's people thrived. And when God's people today filled with this spirit are walking in faith and walking in faithfulness, two characteristics are going to be all over us. And if these are lacking, it suggests that something's wrong. Either we're not who we think we are. We're, we're maybe saying, Lord, Lord, with our mouth, but we're gonna be like those in Matthew chapter seven, who in the day of Christ are gonna say, Lord, Lord, and he's gonna say, away from me, I never knew you. So there is a chance that you could be deceived, self-deceived, you think you're something you're not. That's something we always have to be open to. But then the second thing is there may be something in our life that's causing our lives to be unfruitful. Jesus talked about this in the different kinds of soil. He talked about that there is a plant that grows up, but it doesn't produce any fruit. It's being choked out by the worries of this life and the love of material possessions, the love for money. And so there are things in our life that can creep in and begin to choke out the fruitfulness that ought to be in our lives. And so one of those two things could be true of you today is that when you look and you say, this is what my life ought to be characterized, but it's not, it might mean that you're either not who you think you are. And so today is a day to turn from your sin and trust and follow Jesus. Or it may mean that you have gotten distracted from who you are in Christ. You've gotten distracted from following the one who is worthy of your every moment, of your every affection, of everything that you are. And so today you need to turn from going that way and trust and follow Jesus anew. And so his word meets us right here and those two characteristics are this, we rejoice and we love. Those are the two verbs that we see in this passage that characterize who we are going to be as that is going to be that we are those who rejoice and we are those who love. So let's look at it in the text because it's, it's kind of shrouded in different explanation, but there's great clarity when we begin to see it and we understand that this is who we are going to be as God's people. We are going to be those who rejoice and those who love. And there's great power in the simplicity and in the beauty of those two things. First of all, look at verse six. You rejoice in this. 
you rejoice in this. You rejoice. We're going to see it again in verse 8, where he says, and not seeing him, you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. You rejoice in him. Now it says in this, in verse 6, so that ought to cause us to look back for just a moment at verse 5. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's why we rejoice, Peter says. Number one, just look, we are being guarded by God's power. That is good news for you and me, is that in this life, just like it was for Peter, Peter didn't even realize it in that moment where he was failing but that God in grace was answering the prayer of Jesus in the garden where he warns him that Satan wants to sift him like wheat, but he has been praying for Peter. And so God in his grace, in his power is keeping Peter from the same end that we see with Judas, taking his own life in his despair. You see, God's power is at work in ways that you and I often fail to recognize. You and I, we often see God's hand of deliverance and his power sometimes as inconvenience, as an interruption. The very thing that God is using in order to save us and to protect our lives, we say, ah, this is so annoying. And we lament the very power of God at work at times because we don't see it. And many times we don't see it because we don't know his word and so we don't, we don't recognize his work and how he works in us. But notice he doesn't just say it in some ambiguous way, guarded by God's power, but he says through faith, through faith. And so what does faith look like? Does Peter give us any application of what does it look like to walk in faith? Well, thankfully he does. Look down at verse 13. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. His word goes on down in chapter two, verse one. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Verse 11 of chapter 12. Dear friends, as I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and glorify God on the day that he visits. You say, well, Chad, I thought faith was just belief. James is quick to remind us that faith without works is dead. Ours is a demonstrated faith. What, what Peter is driving at here is that it is your faith that keeps you on a road of obedience to the ways of God. And that it's on that very road that you are therefore not on the roads that lead to destruction on all of the different paths that would take you to a dead end of death. You say, Chad, that's harsh language. That's biblical language. That there are roads that constantly lead us to death and destruction. But there is a path of life and there is a way that he intends for us to live. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we look to Jesus and we realize that there is therefore a path that Jesus himself is the bricks of, that we walk on in this life. And that looks like something. And it looks like this, being sober-minded. That means we, we don't allow alcohol to win the day. We are not those who are inebriated and allow something to control our actions, but instead we're sober-minded. We set our hope completely on the grace to be revealed. We don't live in our former ignorance. I mean, it gets real granular in chapter two, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. You know, like that's a lot of times what happens in spaces like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and other social media channels is that it's slander, it's malice, it's, it's, it's uh, gossip, it's all of these things. But we as the people of God, if we are in those spaces, we are to be speaking a message of truth. We are to be speaking messages of encouragement. We are to be like newborn infants desiring the pure milk of the word so that we grow up into salvation. Dear friends, I, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. You see, Peter says at the end of this passage, you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And God in his goodness has called you to a walk of faith, not just belief, not just getting the, yes, Jesus was the son of God. Yes, he, he died on the cross for our sins. Yes, he was buried. Yes, he was resurrected, done. I memorized some facts, but no, that is to be lived this way. And it's in this way that we are being guarded by God's power through faith for what? For a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last day. If you've ever struggled with, I'm saved, but man, it sure doesn't feel like I'm saved at times. It feels like I'm in need of salvation at times. Like life is hard, it's difficult. I give into the flesh at times. I feel like, I, yes, I know I'm saved, but man, I feel like I need a salvation. The Bible says that's exactly right. That tension that you live with is real. It's real, it's biblical. You have been saved by grace. You have been made a new creation in Christ. All of these things are true, but we are those who wait. We await. You see, if there was no possibility that I could gratify the flesh, then Peter wouldn't have had to say, don't gratify the flesh. By, by, the, by the mere instruction, it shows these things are possibilities. But he's, he's orienting them to something that for you and I now, 2,000 years later, it's even more difficult sometimes to orient our lives to, and that is that there will be a day of his appearing. Now, for those who maybe are concerned that maybe there's not enough talk today in the church about end times, and about talking about some of the specific things, I wanna encourage you, it's all over this passage. It's clear in this, that, that we are living in what would be considered the end times waiting for the final day, the day of Christ Jesus. Over and over and over again, Peter drives us to this longing to see the appearing of Christ Jesus. He, he uses that as his groundwork for why you ought to live a life that pleases God. It's because one day you're gonna stand before him and that's gonna be a day when your life is either going to reflect the beauty of God or it is going to be in contrast to his beauty and perhaps 
be banished forever. You say, but Chad, what about my security and my salvation? Remember, there are many who will say in that day, Lord, Lord, but he will say, I never knew you. You say, Chad, am I supposed to go through this life anxious about whether I'm really a believer? No, you should see the fruit of God's spirit in your life as should everyone around you. And part of the fruit of God's spirit is we rejoice. We rejoice. That's the work of his spirit in your life, proving to yourself and to the world that we belong to him. We rejoice. But notice it's not just that we rejoice, so we just need really upbeat music on Sunday morning so that we can rejoice. No, he goes into specifics here. He keeps going. He says, you rejoice in this, pointing back to verse five, but then he notices, I mean, or he really notes, he says, even though for now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. He's acknowledging there's gonna be a tension that you're living in right now. And it's gonna be very, like it's not gonna be the same. We don't all go through the same difficulty. We don't all have an adult child who has rejected the faith that we may be instilled in them and is going their own way. We don't, we're not all in that boat, but that's a trial. We don't all right now have a financial crisis that we're living in, but that's a trial. We don't all have a marriage right now that is going through a very dark season, but that's a trial. We don't all have an employer right now that because of our faith is wondering whether we're a fit with the organization, but that's a trial. It's gonna be various trials that we go through in this life, but Peter is saying in this we rejoice. And, and, and that cause, we're like, ah, oh, you know, like, what do we do with that? Well, first of all, let me just encourage you. Don't allow that to be how you respond to those who are suffering. Job's friends were no good. They did not assist him in his suffering. They only told him that it was his fault. And so sometimes in our, our good intentions of trying to help someone in their suffering, we're like, well, man, you're supposed to be rejoicing, not, not crying. And that's anything but a biblical idea for us, especially when Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, we grieve, we do grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Speaking of those who have fallen asleep in Christ. And so please, as you comfort one another, do so gently knowing that really this is for you to lock in so that in your moment of trial, in your grief, in your sorrow, you remember that the spirit of God is going to produce in you rejoicing and that in that, you know you are his. Peter's answer is not exhaustive. And so we should not treat this like it is the final answer to why there is suffering in the world, but it is helpful because he says this, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I love the Olympics, not only because of the competition, but because of the commercials. Anybody? I love commercials that make me wanna cry. I don't know what it is, but I love those kind. You know, where it's this story, and I love at the Olympics, they especially do a great job of this, of helping you see an athlete like Simone Biles, or, or uh, who's the guy that won all the medals uh, for swimming? Michael Phelps, you know, like those guys. It's a commercial for Tide, but it's basically their life story. 
you know, so I don't really know how we bridge the gap other than I really like Tide in those moments. But, but it's, this, it's this chronicle of their life and it shows them as a little kid, you know, in the pool splashing around. And then it shows them a little bit older and they're, they're swimming in the pool and they're starting to do laps. And then it shows them in their high school years competing and starting to win. And then it shows them as collegiate athletes and then the Olympics. And then all of a sudden it's the moment where Michael Phelps is slapping the water because he's just won more medals than could be possible. but they're gold medals that will perish. And what's not seen in your life, usually very clearly as a Tide commercial, is that highlight reel of those moments where you made small decisions to walk in faith, where it was a moment where you were like, you know, I don't, I don't need to look at that. I don't need to go to that website. Nope, I'm just... I'm just gonna go ahead and head to bed. I'm gonna power down the computer. I'm gonna put away my phone. A moment where you could have said a little bit more about that situation that you know a lot about, but somebody else doesn't and you just decided, no, I'm just, I'm just gonna close my mouth. That was a moment of faith where you refused to practice malice and gossip. It's those little moments and little moments and little victories of walking and walking and walking that will finally end up like an Olympic award ceremony in the day of Christ where, Paul, where Peter says, and you will receive the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. But in that day, it will result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's gonna result in praise, glory, and honor to Jesus Christ, but you will share in it because you will, you will show that it was in every one of those little moments that Christ was living in you and there was joy. But today, and this is I think the greatest tension and Peter nails it, he knows this is our tension, but today you don't see him. Today you don't see Jesus, you don't see him. That is, that is the hardest part, right? We don't see him. But he says, but you love him. You love him. You love, think about it. It's a little absurd, right? We love so much that we would lay down our lives for him, one we've never seen. You say, Chad, well, I've seen him. You've seen the evidence of him. But when it comes to the person, to the physical representation of Jesus Christ, of you, like Thomas, being able to look at his hands and see the, the nail piercings, you, like the disciples who walked on the road of Emmaus, be able to walk with him and then sit down and eat with him like the disciples did on that beach in John chapter 21. All of those things, we haven't experienced yet, but we will one day. We will see him one day. He will be seen by all. But today, even though you've not seen him, you love him. And though not seeing him, you believe in him, you rejoice with inexpressible, glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Brothers and sisters, run the race. Run the race. Fix your eyes on Jesus, one who had failed royally, who had been so unfaithful, experienced the tremendous faithfulness of Jesus Christ to him. And that same Jesus is at work today 
for you and me. I really believe that today is probably a day for some in this room who you identify with Peter of saying, I have been faithless. But to you, Jesus says, follow me, follow me, follow me. Give your life to me, return to me, follow me, and I will fill you with my spirit and my spirit will produce joy in the midst of your hardships. I will be with you. And there will be a love that rises up in you. For me, Jesus says, that is unexplainable, but it's real. And so today, if that's where you are, I just invite you, turn from your sin and trust and follow Jesus again. You may have already confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, but you have gone from the way of Christ and gone down your own path, return to him today. But there may be someone in this room who has never trusted Christ, or maybe you've been like the ones who said, Lord, Lord, but you realize there's not been love in your heart for him. Let that be a litmus test. Do you love him? Do you love him? Would, would other loves in your life make it look like you hate him? Or is your love for him real? If it is, then let it be known that that is evidence of his spirit within you. Because you haven't seen him, but you love him. And you are filled with an inexpressible joy. Be affirmed today if you are experiencing joy in your trials and love for your Lord but if not, then know that there is one who's calling you today. Come and follow him. Jesus, I pray that in this moment of response, that everyone in this room would be moving toward you. The one who's been walking with you for years and years, may they move toward you in this moment in faith, in surrender. But Lord, for the one in this room who's never trusted you, who's never followed Jesus, I pray today would be the day that they experience the life you give, a life of rejoicing, even through trials and difficulties. And are given a love, God, that just burns for you. And Lord, it is a love that just overwhelms our world as we love one another. So Lord, please, would you move in us in these moments as we worship you? I'm gonna invite for everyone to stand. There'll be a time of singing in response. Noah Green and myself will be standing here to receive you in this moment. If you're here today, you need to follow Jesus. I encourage you, move those feet and move toward the front of the room that we could pray with you as a demonstration that you are ready to begin walking with Jesus. Let's sing in response to God's word.